for Chris Wegman uh, last week, filling in for me. As I was out on vacation, we got to go to uh, visit my family in Fort Worth and Susie's family in Albuquerque. And after a 60-hour round-trip car ride, we're glad to be back in sunny Florida. And But we did have a good time seeing everyone, both of uh, us, Susie and I have sisters that are missionaries in Africa, and both were home during this, that's why we planned it during this particular time, so we got to see the missionaries in Ethiopia, as well as the missionaries in South Africa, and both are doing fine as they continue to serve the Lord. Fear is what we began two weeks ago in our sermon series called Fearless, learning the joy of discovering or replacing fear with faith. And I was reading recently about an infamous stagecoach robber in 1875. From 1875 to 1883, uh, a man by the name that was known as Black Bart, because of the clothing he wore and the way he hid his face, uh, robbed over 29 different Wells Fargo stagecoaches in the frontier west. His name struck terror in the hearts from San Francisco all the way to New York. And it was interesting, his infamy did not result in him ever being caught or even being trailed. Apparently, the lawmen and the guards, stagecoach guards, were all afraid of him. And interestingly enough, Black Bart was known for never firing one single shot from a round. The, he had a different me method of, of, t of taking people by surprise and of robbing, and it was known as fear. His sinister presence and the way that he hid his face uh, apparently struck terror in the heart even of the strongest and bravest uh, stagecoach guard. A and it... it it seemed to be repeat to repeat itself 29 different times and i wondered as i read that story if there is a particular fear that is a bit of a black bart to you in other words it doesn't make sense that this many times unarmed robber would be able to pull the wool over so many people's eyes and paralyze people without any kind of force and maybe that there is a fear that when you analyze it and when you take it away from its power source in your life, it seems really irrational. And you wonder, why have I had this fear for so long? And oftentimes we suppress our fear rather than properly dispose of it by giving it to God. Today, as we continue our series in Fearless, we're going to look at one of the more beloved stories in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21, and it's sort of the end of the beautiful story of the sovereignty of God in the life of Joseph. Joseph was one of 12 sons of the aged patriarch Jacob. And unfortunately, Jacob did not have James Dobson around to tell him that you should not pick favorites as a parent. And he blatantly picked a favorite, born to him in his older age. He loved Joseph, and so he gave him the best of the best in terms of his love, affection, and his gifts. 
and his older brothers resented Joseph for his father's affection. And many of you know the story that they were so angry with him and jealous of him uh, that they threw him in a well. And uh, they beat him up, threw him in a well. And then when they saw a slave um, stagecoach, I guess, a cart coming by, uh, they, sold, they, they figured, you know what, we shouldn't leave him in this ditch because we might be able to make just a few dollars off him. And so they sold him away. And the next time we see Joseph, he has been elevated to as a, a slave in Egypt, but of a prominent position. And that ended up not turning out so well. Someone else wronged and deceived him, and he ended up in jail. And of course, uh, God's favor was with Joseph wherever he went, and as he is in a jail in Egypt, God used his gifts of discerning the future to get the attention of the Pharaoh, and God elevated Joseph to become essentially the prime minister under second in command all throughout the land of Egypt, warning Egypt of a great famine to come and urging them to save their grain so they could feed the nations of the world and protect their own land. Well, as uh, that prophecy turned out to be true, the nations of the world did have a terrible famine, including the area where Jacob was living at the time. And what happened was that Jacob's sons went up to Egypt and Joseph, through a series of events, matter of fact, I don't want to rob you of the joy of slowly reading through that story in Genesis 42 through 45. It's some of the more, even if one did not believe in the Bible, it is incredible literature. But it, when you do believe in the scripture, you see an incredible work of God as Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And there's a huge family reunion and even Jacob comes to live in the land of Egypt. And for 17 years, they, from all accounts we can see, they have a happy family reunion. The brothers, dad, and Joseph are all getting along where all of their families and Joseph takes care of them. He has the resources to do it. But a day came where no one was looking forward to, of course, and that was the death of the patriarch, Jacob. And the, of, of course, when the death of a family member happens, it creates some situations, but it also does more than create situations. Sometimes it reveals situations that were already there that you couldn't see effectively. And, and that's what it, it did here. It really revealed something that was in the brother's heart toward Joseph. Jacob was sort of the glue that held everything together. All the boys revered, respected, stood in awe of their dad. And when their dad was taken from them, Joseph was still in charge of the country. And ultimately, their destiny and fate. And the brothers are going, Dad's not here to buffer us anymore. What are we going to do? They'd had this long-held fear that they had suppressed. Yet their fear is now coming back in full form. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've had a long-held fear that keeps coming back. As we look at God's Word today, we're going to learn how to give those fears to the Lord. Let's look at verse 15. Just a minute ago, during the greeting time, my friend Cecil Johnson looked at me and said, he said, Pastor, I'm hungry, so feed me good this morning. Well, I'm going to feed you from some of the best 
best passages in the Word of God, uh, and you will be enriched just by looking at these incredible verses today. In verse 15 it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? And so they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father has left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. As we look at this passage today, one of the first things we note in principle number one about when fear keeps coming back it is number one on your outline, and that's simply this, reject its counsel. When fear keeps coming back, reject its counsel. Don't listen to it. Uh, General George Patton, famed military leader and strategist in World War II, was known for his fearless courage, yet uh, sometimes in a more open setting, he would reveal to people that he actually wasn't all that brave. That, that one thing in particular he was afraid of was the sound of gunshots. Not a great fear to have when you were in charge of such responsibility in the front lines of war. But one famous quote that Patton had was this, and he said, I learned very early in my life never to take the counsel of my fears. Have you noticed in your life that fear is a very willing counselor? That it, it, the counseling office for fear is open 24 hours a day. And the rates for its services are incredibly cheap. And, and we have the counsel of our fears that are beckoning for our attention and wanting our allegiance. And fear wants to us to submit to it. Fear is like that big bully in the high school hallway. It, it wants to get everything and everybody else out of his way. And, and that's what happens. Uh, under number one, we must learn to beware of the dangerous imagination of suppressed fear. Because fear does not want any other emotion in your life to reign. Have you ever heard of someone described as a fearful and happy person? No. A fearful and joyful or a fearful and content or a fearful and clear thinking or a fearful and wise person? No. Fear seems to push out everything and everybody else. And this long suppressed fear, when a difficult situation emerged, the death of their father, all of a sudden it revealed that these brothers hadn't really dealt with fear. Uh, they maybe put on a face for 17 years. It sounds like for 17 years, they didn't really believe their brother. They thought that their brother was putting on a show. And now, when pain resurfaced, fear was unleashed. And they were gripped by a cringing fear that was now calling the shots in their life. Maybe you've tried to push it back again and again and again. And, and the, the reason that fear has its way is because of an unwillingness to believe the right things about God, as we'll see in a moment. But sometimes we need to simply stop 
that, that fearful imagination and grab those fears and give them to God and not let pain such as loss or unforeseen circumstances allow fear to go unchecked and unleashed in our life. Now, now something we see in this passage about fear is that it, it oftentimes leads us to a mistreatment of other people. And so principle number two about when fear keeps coming back, we must watch how we treat others. Now, interestingly enough, in verse 16, when they sent, they sent word to Joseph, they were really, their fear had gotten so a hold of them that they decided that they didn't want to be in Joseph's presence by themselves. They were back to their own they're old tricks of conniving. And so they sent word to Joseph. And they basically sent him a letter. Now, it's been some question as to whether or not this letter was real. The, the flow of the story, it does not tell us if this was a real note or not. But the flow of the story seems to be that these guys made up a letter. And it's not unlike them, what we know to hold on to a lie for a long period of time as they deceive their father for years. And so it sounds like they're back to their old tricks. And, and then, basically, they're, they're saying, hey, this is dad. Please forgive these rascals for all they've done wrong and be nice to them. Do not hurt them, dear Jacob. And so Joseph, at the end of verse 17, when their message came to him, Joseph wept. We also don't exactly know why Joseph wept. Um, it's interesting, my, the, the home church for my wife is Hoffmantown Baptist Church in Albuquerque, and they recently celebrated their 60th anniversary, and so Susie, Susie's dad gave her a 60th anniversary Hoffmantown, uh, sort of a, a church memorabilia, and, and my wife's mother, who died a little bit of, over a year ago, was a really, it was almost a, a founding member of that church, and was really involved and she wrote a memorial before she died about how much the church meant to her. And so we're driving down uh, I-10, and she's reading me this, this insert that her mother said, and we both just started weeping. We, it was just so moving to hear the words of someone that had already gone to be with the Lord. And so who knows why Jacob was weeping? Was it because maybe he believed that this note was written by his dad, and it touched him or it moved him? Maybe another answer that I tend to think might be the reason is because he's he's smelling a rat again all of a sudden he knows that his brothers are into concocting schemes to get out of things and maybe it's really hitting him that they don't believe joseph for one moment you know what they're basically saying joseph you've been a phony to us you deserve an Academy Award for these last 17 years of acting like you've really forgiven us. They, t they ratchet up even further in verse 18, and his brothers then come, and they throw themselves down before him. I guess this is after the note was read. They, when the next time they see him, they say, we are your slaves. They have this guilt that they've never really been able to spiritually rectify. And they have this fear that it, 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 every time that they hit it down, it pops up again. 
and they don't know how to dispose of the fear properly, and so it keeps on coming back. And when we have these, this fear, these kind of fears in our relationship, they lead us to treat people with deception, with selfishness, and with unkind motivations. They were really getting at Joseph. They were mostly so concerned about their own life, about their own future, about their own existence, they didn't think about Joseph at all and what their actions were saying to him. Well, when we are a person that is ruled and gripped by fear, we can't be an other-centered, giving, loving, healthy, whole person. That's why we have so many marriages in disrepair because fear has now had the final word. Fear has begun to reign. Fear has uh, led to deep insecurity. And so we're concerned about our own preservation rather than the, our spouse in our home. Uh, our, our friendships erode because we're afraid of someone's motives. And so, you, you know, really, I think Joseph's brothers are acting this way because they are probably thinking about how they would have responded if they were in Joseph's shoes. Do you ever do that? Do you ever just think, you know, how would I act if I were in this situation? And then all of a sudden it hits you, I would act really bad. <laughs> and, and, and they know that if they were in Joseph's shoes, they would suppress uh, the other person all day long. And so all of a sudden it's hitting them just how mean Joseph could be to them. And their selfishness that is fear-based is, is rearing its ugly head and it breaks Joseph's heart. He doesn't want their slavery. He wants them to be family. He wants them to be brothers. Well, Joseph then perks up with a fresh dose of a systematic theology lesson. He, he brings something into play that the brothers had just forgotten about, and that was the name, the being, the person of God. You know, being a fearless person has absolutely everything to do with the way that you understand and believe God, who he is, what he's like, what he's about. And, and so Joseph begins to grasp that they're fearing his revenge. And so the first thing that Joseph addresses in verse 19 is the inconsistency of revenge. And, and number three on your outline, the principle about when fear keeps coming back, remember that God dispenses justice. That vengeance is mine, declares the Lord, is what Romans chapter 12, verse 19 reminds us of. But Joseph said to them in verse 19, Don't be afraid. He says, Am I in the place of God? He, he, he's basically saying to them, listen, you're so afraid that I'm going to do you wrong. You don't need to fear me. You should stand in awe of God because vengeance is his department. Have you ever tried to do something in your job, maybe your role as a spouse or your literal job that you have where you earn a living that was way outside of your job description and someone that was over you said, no, 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 no. You don't need to do that. You should focus on this. And I think God says that to our hearts because we would like to be in the revenge department. Anybody ever applied for the vengeance department? It's the most natural thing in the world to want to get somebody back. 
at least if we don't personally get them back, we want for, we want for ruin to, be, to come on them. We, we might not pray for their ruin, but we certainly would desire their demise. Yet the scripture tells us that is God's department. Joseph says, am I in the place of God? You're forgetting the real central character is God himself. He's the one that we should be talking about. He's the one that we should be thinking about. God will dispense justice. And that frees us up to not be a vengeful, resentful person. It frees us up to let people stand or fall, not before us, but before God. You know, a really awful trait is when you want someone to be afraid of you. Maybe someone has wronged you. And you have acted like you have forgiven them, but you hope they're afraid of you. The first thing Joseph says is, hey, don't be afraid. I don't want you to be afraid of me. I want you to look to the one that you really should be afraid of in the sense of respect and standing in awe of, and that is God himself. I don't have his job description. I can't take his place. And then in verse 50, Joseph said some immortal words. Matter of fact, if you woke up this morning thinking, I wish I had a Bible verse to memorize. I, I want to urge you to write down verse 50 this week. Put it on a sticky note in a couple of places. And if you've never memorized Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it, it is truly a life changer in its view of who God is. Now, in verse 20 says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives now the principle about when fear keeps coming back number four on your outline is this to take god's character into your past present and future the real difference maker in joseph's life was that he had learned how god deals with man and he'd come to understand uh, at least two things about god that god was completely in control that god was sovereign and that god was completely good that God could be trusted with his sovereignty. He had learned through being deceived by his brothers. He would learned by being a slave. He would learned by being unjustly incarcerated. He would learned through trial and error, victory and defeat, that God was good. That you could bring God's character into in deal with the issues of your past. That you could trust him right now in this moment. That you could trust him in the future. Now... This is tough for us to do because we're in a fearful world. I remember several years ago, there was a, a man that had a book. It was a, po a politics book, and it was by a famous uh, commentator or analyst. And he said to me, Pastor Cliff, have you read this book? I looked at it. I recognized the author. And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, you need to read this. It will scare you to death. That's like someone saying, this tastes terrible. You want to buy it? And um, so I, you know, it was about how our, our country is going to pots and everything is going to go terrible. Now, it, it is true that we should all be concerned about the moral downfall of our country in that direction. It should grieve us, we should pray for it, and we should work and act and vote accordingly. But uh, when he told me, when I read this book, it will scare me to death, I looked at him politely and lightheartedly and I said, no, it won't. And he didn't quite know where I was coming from. But the, the point is, we don't turn on the news and read eerie predictions about our country 
and are filled with fear if you are convinced that God works all things together for good. What I like about what Joseph said was he doesn't side skirt the issue. He says, you intended to harm me. Sometimes we act like we enjoy the abuse of others because we're so nice or gracious in our wording. But he was honest. Hey, you intended to harm me. I would say that when we've been hurt by someone else, maybe someone that was close to us or someone has wronged us in, in a, even in uncomfortable ways, we have a tendency because of the pain to never leave the first part of verse 50. We stay right there. You intended to harm me. And we never move on to the next statement. I, I don't blame anyone in a human sense, in a natural sense, for staying there because sometimes the pain is so great. But spiritually, by the grace of God, we've got to move on from the you intended to harm me and go to the part that begins with but God. See, God has a bigger design and intention. It says, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. God had so sovereignly engineered a moment for God to use the predictive abilities of Joseph to foresee something that no other human on the face of the earth saw, and that was a famine coming seven years from the moment he predicted it. God used Joseph to literally save the physical life of thousands upon thousands, and now Joseph could see that. He couldn't see it when he was in the ditch, let go by his brothers. He couldn't see it when... He was in a jail, deceived by someone else. But now, after trusting God for all these years, he could see it. He could see the design of the Lord, and it was making sense to him because God had been with him. I thought it was uh, humorous in the NBA playoffs in 2013 when the Miami Heat were losing to the San Antonio Spurs. And they were about to lose the series in game six. And in the fourth quarter, they were behind by, uh, I, I believe, double digits. And the Miami Heat fans began leaving. They began filing out in anger uh, of the, the game. And all of a sudden, they got back the ball. They got some stops. And there was a miracle three-point shot. They went into overtime, and then they won. But when fans in, in late in the fourth quarter left the building... The Miami Heat personnel and staff that were outside would not let them back in. They, want, they were listening on their phones and the radios. They heard they turned around. They wanted back in. They wouldn't, they wouldn't let them back in. I thought that was uh, just, I thought that was something that they were due. Now, you're going, you're being too much of a Dallas Maverick fan today. I know, I'm sorry. I'm, I have my own bitterness I need to work through from 2006, it sounds like. But what, what is interesting to note is simply this. Sometimes we like to call the score of the game too early. There's an old statement in, in sports that says, never call the score in halftime. In other words, don't call the game too early. We, there have been many games through the years that have had miracle comebacks. And that's what we do in life. We start exiting the stadium of our faith too early when it seems to be a tangled web of meaningless mess. We've gone through this, and it's downed us. We've gone through this, and it's upset us. And what do we do? We're just like those Fairweather fans. We start abandoning God. We start saying, you intended to harm me, instead of God intended it for good. There's a story about a retired preacher that loved to go visit the sick, and he had a bookmark that was woven together by some beautiful silk fabric. And 
when he would go visit someone that was going through pain, he would turn the bookmark around, and all they saw was all of the, all of the, fi- the, the patterns together that didn't seem to make any sense in the back. And then he would turn around and saw in beautiful lettering, in a bright white background, the words, God is love. And he explained to them that we often see the backside of our trials. And we see that it's, an un, it's a tangled mess that doesn't seem to make sense. And so many of our uh, difficulties look like they have absolutely no meaning. And so did Joseph's. And I wish that we could almost have Joseph with us today and say, how did you make it? And he looked right at them and says, I knew who God was. And I knew that he had a bigger and a higher intention that he intended it for good. And then in verse 21, he continues, and he looks right at them and says, So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And then it says, And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Have you ever said the words, I forgive you? But there was one problem. They were just words. Maybe someone has said those words to you, and you could pretty much tell by their actions that they did not mean them. Well, you can tell when you have truly forgiven someone, when you don't want them to be cringing around you, and when you work overboard at reassuring them that they don't have to be afraid, that your words were true. And so there is interesting enough our part in helping others through their fears. Now, back to basketball for one second. Two weeks ago when the announcement of LeBron James was made as he was returning to Cleveland. I was in a restaurant after that announcement was made and I asked a young man working there. He looked like he would uh, be a basketball fan. So I said, what do you think of LeBron returning to Cleveland? And he had, his face got conjured and he said, you know, I'm really upset about it. And I said, why? And he said, well, because I heard about all those things those uh, those Cleveland fans said about LeBron and did to him four years ago. And he said, I would never go back there. He goes, I would never go back there even to visit. I wish he were here this morning. He, he was in Dallas. But I, I wish he were here this morning because the truth is, that's understandable. When, when we're hurt, when we're wounded, we have this tendency, I'm not going to forgive for any reason ever. Yet, Joseph had realized how merciful God had been to him, and he wanted to extend that same forgiveness that same sense of mercy to other people. And so he went overboard to reassure others that indeed they had been forgiven and that they did not need, need to live in fear. And so when fear keeps coming back, number five on your outline, do your part to help others through fear. Now, I am not saying this morning that it's your personal responsibility to make sure that everybody in your world is not afraid. But I am saying that there is a role that we can play in, re- in helping others through their fears. There were twice in verse 19 and verse 21 where Joseph looked right at them and said, Hey, what are you afraid about? You don't need to be afraid. And the way he released them was reminding them of God and reminding them of his great love. Maybe your reassurance of love, your deep love for others that are feeling uh, Maybe a a spirit of resentment from you. Maybe your expressions of love will go a lot further than you can ever imagine of leading others to keep that suppressed, long-held fear from coming back. 
this morning as we consider this powerful passage. I wonder what your response to the Lord will be. It might be in moments like this that some of your long-held fears have kept you from entering into a relationship with Christ. Maybe you've had a fear that your sinful deeds have been so great that there is no way that God could ever love you. No way that God could ever forgive you. We have to simply humble ourselves enough to believe in the cross of Jesus Christ, that he did die and paid the full payment for our sin, and that by faith in him and him alone, we can enter into a relationship with Christ. Maybe you believe on paper, but you've ceased to trust completely in the character of God like Joseph did. And this long-held fear that keeps coming back can be disposed of properly when you give it to the character of God. As we consider this passage and enter into a time of response, I'd like us to bow together. And as we're bowed before him this morning, how will you respond to the living God? Lord, we are so thankful that we can know you personally. And I'd like to pray that you would engineer circumstances to draw people to your truth. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel Thank you, Lord, for your faithful sovereignty that can shape us if we trust you. So shall it be, almighty God. In Christ's wonderful name we pray. Amen.